your service. Thank you for the way um, that you have laid down your life so other people can enjoy freedom. We want to honor that. Um, and, and secondly, I, I, this thought, I hadn't thought about that this week, but um, today marks four years uh, from the first time I set in, foot in this building. Uh, I came here uh, as a guest speaker uh, in 2011, living in Memphis, Tennessee, and just had met Chuck Geschwind and hearing about uh, his idea to see Arkansas reached for the gospel. And so me being from Arkansas was really honored just to be able to come and um, share share God's word with you. But over time, not only was it sharing God's word, but my heart really has become knit to Jonesboro uh, to see all that God's done in my life personally over the last four years. Uh, it, it's an overwhelming thought. So I'm, I'm grateful uh, that he has brought me here. I'm grateful for uh, four years just to be able to enjoy God's grace with you all. And um, as we jump in this morning, uh, I, I came across a blog from Mockingbird Ministries, who's like my new uh, favorite place to check in. And they were kind of poking fun at the idea of high school and college commencement speeches. I mean, you guys have probably at least endured one or two, maybe this kind of season. Um, and if you know anything about these kinds of speeches, they're usually filled with a lot of cliche language, you know, like, I mean, if you're um, you should reach for the stars because if you miss, maybe you'll hit the moon or you're supposed to be this kind of person that really goes for it and looks to kind of fulfill your dream. So there's just this kind of naive human optimism that if you just put together enough hard work that you can do anything, right? I mean, that's kind of the flavor and the theme um, that is put forth in college and high school commencement speeches. And so uh, they went through something that is refreshing is when somebody kind of tells it like it is. And so I want to begin this morning from a, a speech from Stephen Colbert from the Colbert Report, 2011. I'm going to read a, a lengthy portion of it because I think it helps set the scene for John chapter 12. Uh, Stephen Colbert graduated uh, from Northwestern University. And keep in mind all the, the cliché valedictorian speeches you've heard over the years, and this is what Stephen had to say. He said, Okay, you have been told to follow your dreams, but what if it's a stupid dream? Because thankfully, dreams can change. If we'd all been stuck with our first dream, the world would be overrun with cowboys and princesses. So, whatever your dream is right now, if you don't achieve it, you haven't failed. And you're not some loser. But, just as importantly, and this is the part that I might not get right now and you may not be able to listen to, if you do get your dream, you're not a winner. After I graduated from here, I moved down to Chicago and did improv. Now, there are very few, few rules about improvisation, but one of the things that I was taught early on is that you are not the most important person on the scene. Everybody else is. And if they are the most important people in the scene, then you will naturally pay attention to them and serve them. But the good news is that you're in the scene too. So hopefully to them, you're the most important person and they will serve you. No one is leading. You're all following the follower, serving the servant. You cannot win at improv. 
And life is an improvisation. You have no idea what's going to happen next. And you most likely are going to just make up things as you go along. And like improv, you cannot win your life. Even when it might look like you're winning, and I have my own show, which I love doing, very full of talented people, ready to serve me, and it's great. But at my best, I'm serving them just as hard, and together we serve a common idea. In this case, the character Stephen Colbert, who is clear, isn't interested in serving anyone. And it's a sure sign that things are going well when no one really remembers whose idea or who should get credit for the jokes, though naturally I get credit for all of them. He closes like this. In my experience, you will truly serve only what you love. Because as the project says, service is love made visible. If you love friends, you will serve your friends. If you love community, you will serve your community. If you love money, you will serve money. And if you love only yourself, you will serve only yourself. And you will have only yourself. So, no more winning. Try to love others and serve others and hopefully find those who love and serve you in return. The reason that I draw attention to that is because... In the world of naive human optimism, that is an accurate assessment of what life is really about. And it's refreshing when someone doesn't address you with cliche language, but kind of pulls back the, la- but kind of pulls back the veil a little bit and lets you see what life is really like, what's really going on. And in John chapter 12, as we're looking at one of Jesus' shortest parables, it's only 22 words in English, we get a very clear picture of why he came into the world and what its implications are for us. Jesus is kind of telling us like it is. And so, if you're able, would you stand as we read John chapter 12? I'm going to read verses 12 through 33. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that they are... See that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat 
falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thunders. Others said that an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has not come for your it, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, right now, we just humble ourselves before your word. We don't sit in judgment over your word. We sit under your word, asking that you would perform this word in our hearts. Father, I pray that you would send the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to understand, to truly have ears to hear. Pray that you would help us to understand why you came into the world and that by that truth that you would set the course and the trajectory of our life. Pray that your death would bear much fruit in our life. To do that, we need you to speak to us. To do that, Father, I need your help to proclaim this word. Father, I confess my weakness and my inadequacy and I ask that you would send the power of the Spirit to empower me to proclaim this word to these people that I love. In Jesus' name, amen. So John chapter 12 is the, the turning point of the book of John. It, the first half of the book of John up until this point contains seven signs. That begins with the wedding of Cana and ends with the, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. That These are signs that point to who Jesus is and why he came. And then the, the rest of the book of John kind of is called the book of glory. And it, it details, it slows down the narrative so that we understand the glory and the beauty of why Jesus came. So John chapter 12, Jesus is at the height of his popularity in the world. I mean, this comes right after John chapter 11 when Lazarus was raised from the dead. I mean, as I read that narrative, I mean, those people are in the crowd. And you can imagine that if someone was raised from the dead, there was going to be quite a ruckus. This was around the time of the Passover, so there were about 2.7 million people estimated to be in the city of Jerusalem, and they are going absolutely crazy over who Jesus is. 
They are looking to make him their king. This is what's historically known as Palm Sunday, where they are waving the palm branches. But not only is this the height of his popularity, it is also the height of the opposition to Jesus. I mean, the rulers that were in charge at this particular point, they were growing in their jealousy over Jesus. They were upset with his growing popularity and their diminishing influence with the Jewish people. So they were looking to put him to death. But not only, I didn't read this verse, but back up in the the verses before, not only were they looking to put Jesus to death because Lazarus was such an influence in this crowd, they were looking to kind of put him to death. So they're a little mob-like in their influence. They're looking to put down Um, this influence of Jesus. So Jesus has a growing influence and he also has growing opposition. And it's into this context that Jesus chooses to tell the world why he came into the world. So let's look at this very carefully together. Look at verses 24 through 26. And Jesus answered them, "'The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified.'" Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the the Father will honor him. So the reason that I read such a, a lengthy portion, what this parable kind of reveals is the difference between the world and the way the world would crown a king and the way that God crowns a king. The people of Jerusalem, I mean, rightly so. I mean, Jesus was by far the most charismatic leader that the world has ever seen. I mean, he was opening the eyes of the blind. He was teaching wonderful truths that the world has never experienced. And he had just raised Lazarus from the dead. So it was right and it was appropriate for them to pull out palm branches and say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, that was a right response. But I mean, in their mind, I mean, they had no idea really why Jesus had come into the world, right? I mean, they thought that their biggest need was for political deliverance from the nation of Rome, right? They thought that Jesus was just kind of kind of come from heaven. And we can kind of think this, like Jesus is going to just kind of come from heaven. He's going to do a few miracles. Like if we were writing a story, that's what he would do, you know, do some cool party tricks and then bam, right? He would set up his kingdom on earth and that would be the end. But that's not why Jesus came. The way the world makes a king and the way that God makes a king is Different, And that's why Jesus says very clearly this parable that we're going to look at. Look at verse 24 with me. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So what Jesus is saying, that the, the reason that he came into the world was to lay down his life. 
The reason that he came into the world was his death. The reason that Jesus came into the world was to bear much fruit by laying down his life for his people, right? Jesus came into the world to give up his life for us. All throughout the the book of John, Jesus was saying, not yet, it's not my hour yet. But in this verse, Jesus says, this is the hour for which I came. This is the reason that I came into the world to lay down my life for my people. And by laying down my life, it would bear much fruit. See, this group of people thought that their greatest need was outside of them. They thought that their greatest need was political deliverance, right? They thought that their greatest need was their bondage to Rome. And what Jesus is saying in and through this passage is your greatest bondage is not outside of you. Your greatest bondage is not what's taking place in the world. The greatest bondage is what's going on inside of you. And it's your captivity to sin. And it's for that reason that I came into the world to lay down my life to free you from that. Because it's important that we understand why Jesus came. Because if we just think that Jesus came to make our life circumstantially better... Like, we're going to be very disappointed with his rule and his reign. Am I right? Like, if we just think that Jesus came to be the king that rules instead of the servant that suffers, like, when suffering hits our life, we're going to be caught off guard. And it's very encouraging to us to see that Jesus came to lay down his life. And he didn't just come in and set up shop. He came into the world to empathize with us. He came into the world to identify with us as humans. He came into the world to give us hope in the midst of our suffering. If we believe that Jesus came primarily just to make our lives better and better, we're going to be a slave to the the fact that we think that our lives are supposed to be this ever-increasing, ever-ascending staircase to greatness. And when something bad happens, it's going to topple our view of who God is and why Jesus came. Tolian Chavidjan, in his book, One Way Love, he says this. He says that teenagers today have the same level of stress as psychiatric patients had in the early 1950s. Can you believe that? Teenagers today have the same level of stress and anxiety placed upon them as psychiatric patients in the 1950s. Why is that? Certainly it's because there is this culture of performance, right? That from an early age, like we start to press our kids. You know, I mean, if you don't get them into the right preschool by the age of four, like they're never going to be able to go to Harvard. Am I right? So we push them and we prod them and we put them in all kinds of activities and we put all of these expectations on them. And so they're living life stressed out to the max. Combine that with another stat that I read, 96% of millennials believe that with a little bit of hard work, they're going to all be able to achieve their dreams. What kind of culture does that lead to, right? I mean, that is a culture that is looking for a crash and a burn. 
the good news of the gospel for a, a culture that is obsessed with the fact that their lives are supposed to be better and better is that we follow a crucified Messiah and that when he is at the center of our lives, he's able to give us hope in the midst of our suffering because we know by experience that life doesn't always get better and better. Am I right? Right? Life does not always get better and better. Not only are we a slave to thinking our lives are supposed to be better and better, we think that we're supposed to be better and better, right? With our own Christian duties and our own performances, we think that our lives are supposed to be this ever-ascending um, way to get more from God and to be able to perform for God and to be able to do all of these things in His name. But the reality is, He came into the world to lay down his life for broken people like you and me. Jesus came into the world to lay down his life for sinners, not so that we can become better and better, not just so that we are good people that get a little bit better, but because we're not good. Because we need his death to atone for our lives. So we have these expectations that life will be better and better. We have this expectation that our lives and our souls should get better and better. Jesus came to lay down his life so that we can live in the tension of simultaneously being a saint and a sinner. The cross is the only thing that makes sense of the struggle. That Jesus came into the world to die for our sins. Jesus did not gloss over the pain of human existence. He entered into it to bring life and redemption into our hearts. So Jesus came to lay down his life, but he also came to redefine life. Let's look at verses 23 through 25 again. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, you may have heard this passage before, and it turns into a, a plea for self-denial. There is, there is self-denial that is implied in this passage. But I, I kinda, if we get this part of the passage wrong, like it's going to make us a slave, right? It's going to make us more and more of a slave to who we are. So who is the grain of wheat that falls to the ground and dies? Is it us or is it Jesus? It's Jesus, right? And that's good news for us. This is not about us dying for Jesus. This is about Jesus dying for us. I, I put it like this. It's like you're tagged in a, a wedding photo on Facebook, right? So, I mean, what's the first thing you do when you're tagged in a photo? I mean, maybe you guys are more godly or more spiritual than I am. But you like, you want to go and look and see if it's a good picture, right? Like, you're not looking for the bride. You're not looking for the groom. You just want to see, like, hey, how do I look in this picture, right? And, and, and I use that as an illustration because, like, we're in the picture in John chapter 12, but we're not the point, right? 
We're in the picture, but we're not the point. The point is that Jesus Christ came into the world to lay down his life. And by laying down his life, our lives can bear much fruit. So I want us to get our minds around this this morning. Every good deed that you ever do, every thought that you have with any inkling towards Jesus Christ, every inkling towards discipleship, every inkling towards mission, every good fruit that exists in your marriage, every good fruit that exists in your home is tied to the fulfillment of this parable. Because he has laid down his life, it is bearing much fruit. The good news is he laid down his life for us and we get to reap the harvest in our own life. And so sometimes we think our lives are utterly disconnected from what happened on the cross. If he did not come and lay down his Christ, we would never have any inkling towards God. And that's good news because he gets all the credit for all the fruit in our lives, right? He is the one that is at work. He's the one that has laid down his life so that we could bear much fruit. And that is good news for us. It's not dependent on you. It's all the result of him laying down his life for us. Because if we focus on what we need to do for Jesus instead of what he's done for us, it makes us a slave. So I would say it like this. The core of Christian discipleship, and we are passionate about discipleship here, but the, the core and the power of everything that we believe at Fellowship Bible Church is that the core of that discipleship is Jesus' sacrifice for us, not our sacrifice for him. Right? So, he's redefining life here. See, because it says that whoever seeks his own life, he's going to lose it. So, what does he mean by that? We all believe fundamentally because of the fall that life is something that you have to pursue it's something that you have to achieve it's something that's outside of us so whether it's money or sex or possessions or relationships or anything and everything under the sun we believe that life is out there and we have to go get it but the, the, the book of John very clearly lays out the truth that Jesus came to give us life as a gift. We already have everything that we need in and through Jesus. So he laid down his life so that we could experience life. So that now he can give us all the things that normally entangle us and keep us trapped in our sin. He can give those things back to us as a gift. So life is not something that you achieve. Life is something that you receive as a gift by faith in Jesus Christ. He came to lay down his life so that we would experience life. And if you just think just for a moment. I don't know what kind of week you had. But every ounce of peace, every ounce of joy... Every ounce of love that you have for anyone else is tied to this very fact that he laid down his life. That's good news. It's bearing fruit. And as the book of Colossians says, not only is it bearing fruit, it's growing. So not only is this truth for the people in this room, the, the, the truth is for our city. To see this message of not trying to achieve, not trying to do more and try harder, but to receive 
the good news of the gospel as a gift. It's not about what we do for God. It's about what he's done for us. And the more and more we can be dialed into that, it's going to make us better missionaries to our culture, right? Okay, now let's, let's move on. Look at verses 27 through 33. Now is my soul troubled. Now this is Jesus contemplating going to the cross. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And just as I'm meditating on this this morning in my office, I mean, I had something completely different. His soul was troubled and he was looking into the cup of God's wrath that is reserved should be pointed at us. And as I'm reading this this morning, looking at the Savior's soul being troubled for us. That's my trouble. That's my trouble that he is looking at. That is my sin that he is dying for. We... This is my cross that he is about to endure, right? Unless we get the, the beauty of God's substitution for us in and through Jesus, we miss the whole point of the Christian life. It's in my place condemned he stood. He sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a savior, right? If we're going to celebrate Memorial Day and we're going to talk about soldiers laying down our life, let's not miss the greatest sacrifice in human history. And it was for us. It was for our sins. It was for our sorrows so that we would experience the peace and the joy of God. So he was troubled in his soul. But it also says that it was for this hour that he came. He didn't do this reluctantly. He knew what it was going to talk. He knew what it was going to cost us. Scott said this from the stage this morning. He took your name to the cross. He took your sins this morning to the cross. He took your sins this week to the cross. He took all of your sins, past, present, and future, to the cross so that you would know the love of the Father. And that's what we've been talking about over and over. So not only was his soul troubled, but it was his joy and it was his love that motivated him to go to the cross. Not only that, but it says, Now is the judgment of this world, verse 31. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So, 
track with me here. Not only did Jesus redefine what life was for us, he also went to the cross to defeat everything that would keep us from experiencing life. The ruler of this world, that is a a picture of Satan and all that is evil in this world. Those things have been exposed in the cross. No longer will they be able to deceive you ultimately and finally. The ruler of this world has been judged at the cross so that the evil that we experience inside of us and the evil that we experience in the world, it will never have the last word for us. And that is good news because we still live in a dark and a broken world. The cross is good news for a world that is still troubled. The gospel is good news for a world that is still broken because I know... What you may not be experiencing right now, but as soon as you leave here, fears and doubts will assail you. Right? I mean, you have to think about that. If it wasn't for this verse in the Bible, the lies that we consistently believe on a week in and week out basis would destroy us. The ruler of this world has been cast out. And that's good news because the enemy has been defeated. He may still be able to spew venom and lies, but he is defeated. Not only that, There's this picture. When I am lifted up, he's talking about being lifted up on the cross. I will draw all men to myself. So there's something that about the cross when Jesus is proclaimed and when Jesus is read and when he's looked on with faith, that it is a drawing us back to what's true, right? All of the things of the world, they, they cloud our view. But when we see the cross and we see that that is the God man hanging there suspended between heaven and hell, it brings us back to reality that we see what really matters. When he is lifted up, he draws all people to himself. So I don't know where you are, right, this morning. I don't know if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, but there's something that you need to see about that, that that cross is for you. It's for your forgiveness. It's for your acceptance. It's for everything that you've ever longed for. You will find in fulfillment in and through Jesus Christ. So as you look on him in faith, you will find life. But not only that, for for people that have never placed their faith, I mean, if you're here this morning and your heart is cold, cross is the father drawing you back to melt the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh i mean if you're here and you're weary and you need to hear the good news of the cross is that it is finished for you that jesus accomplished all that you could ever need to accomplish and more So that you don't have to labor and you don't have to struggle and you don't have to try to secure your own salvation. You're able to come to him and rest. So if you have a cold heart or if you have a weary heart or if you have a wayward heart, right? And you just get distracted very easily. And God is inviting you through the cross to come home and to experience his love. There's no better news than that, right? That's better news than a vacation that we all need. This is good news. He came to lay down his life so that it would bear fruit and give us life. This is the hour for which he came. I want to close with this, uh, a little part of a prayer from the Valley of Vision. And I think this is how we're going to respond in communion. It says this, it says, Let me learn by paradox. That the way down is the way up. That to be low 
is to be high. That the broken heart is the healed heart. That the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit. That the repenting soul is the victorious soul. That to have nothing is to possess all. That to bear the cross is to wear the crown. That to, is, to give is to receive. And that the valley is the place of vision. This is supposed to redefine reality for us. Things don't always look like they're going the way that they're supposed to. Jesus coming and embracing the cross for us lets us know that there's hope for a world that's suffering. There's hope for people that are suffering. That we're drawn to Him. And He gives us hope because He became like us and He laid down His life so that we could experience life. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Jesus. Thank You for the good news of the Gospel that He came to lay down His life so that we would be able to bear much fruit. Father, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for sending Jesus in our place. I pray that you would give us tangible rest as we celebrate the good news of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we're going to...